Welcome to this special episode of Affording College. Um, I'm Alexandra Green with College Liftoff. We wanted to record um, this special episode from home, so we apologize for any um, sound quality issues, children knocking on the door. You know, we're all in this we're all in this crazy time together, um, but we really wanted to record a special episode of Affording College to address a lot of the questions and changes that are taking place right now when it comes to education, K through 12 and beyond in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. College Liftoff uh, wanted to invite some special guests to be on this podcast with us. We've got uh, Albine Weicker, um, a premier educational law firm in the Midwest. Here we've got Mark Weicker and Lauren Sabo from Albine Weicker. You guys want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, my name is Mark Weicker. I'm a partner at uh, Albite Weicker LLP. We're located in Columbus. And um, yeah, we help uh, students in all areas of education, preschool through PhD. Yep. Thanks, Alex. And thanks, College Liftoff, for having us. Uh, my name is Lauren Sabo, and I'm one of the education attorneys over at Albite Weicker. Uh, and I'm actually a former uh, high school multi-intensive special education teacher. So before going to law school, um, you know, was in a classroom every day. Awesome. And um, as always, we're here with Aaron Green, founder and CEO. Hey, everybody. Good to hear back from everyone. Hope everyone out there is doing okay and staying safe. Yep. Uh, Paige Chapman Leyland with College Liftoff. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm the manager of client planning for College Liftoff and um, have been thinking a lot about uh, the changes that we're seeing in light of COVID. So hopefully be able to add some helpful tips. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for all doing this. This is a super trying time for families. Yeah, we just wanted to come together and hopefully shed some light on um, many of the questions that families and students are having now. Actually, I think all of us are parents on this call right now. So we're kind of seeing this both from like the professional side, but also, I mean, at home you know, on the uh, the educational side. It seems to me like the responsibility is really on families at this time of distance learning to stay on track of their kids' online learning, um, which is super challenging, as we all know, because you know, families are working. Um, there are families with multiple kids in school at different grade levels, with different schools in different school districts in many cases. Um, you know, families are experiencing um, connectivity issues, getting online, and um, families have, you know, kids with different learning styles and with learning differences. My first question for you all is what legally should schools and school districts be providing students in this time of distance learning? What should they be doing to ensure that students stay on track and don't fall behind? Yeah, that's a pretty good question. I, um, we could speak, uh, you know, somewhat specifically in Ohio, since that's where we're located. But I think, you know, a lot of states are dealing with, uh, you know, their own governor's stay-at-home orders and the closure of schools. So I think it's going to be pretty similar, you know, nationwide. Um, but, you know, here in particular in Ohio, we had a, 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 the governor, who is Governor Mike DeWine, issued an order on March 12th. And you kind of have to parse it out to see exactly what the standard is. And then you kind of see that it's pretty squishy in terms of what they're legally obligated to do. But um, the order itself, uh, it said during the extended school closure that uh, schools should work to provide education through alternative means. And then um, the stated intent of that 
um, order later on in the order itself said that it was to maintain the continuity of educational services as much as practicable uh, during the crisis. So again, it's like, well, as much as you can. Um, and then the Ohio Department of Education came out with some somewhat clarifying information that said that they interpreted this to mean that schools should make a good faith effort within their available capabilities to support continued learning outside of school. And what they meant in particular was that um, at the very least schools should be identifying local resources, uh, encouraging reading and writing practices during the closure period. So you see that's really minimal, like basic level stuff. Right, right. Um, so the answer really is legally, uh, and this is actually true for what students are uh, entitled to when they have a butt in the seat, you know, in class. Legally, as long as they're de delivering the curriculum in some way, it's really going to meet the standard. So it's not a lot, and it, and it varies a lot from school to school. Interestingly, students with individualized education plans, so students with disabilities have those plans, actually um, it's much more spelled out for them what they're entitled to and how much they're entitled to uh, than it is for, you know, a typical, uh, typically learning student in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I'll just add, um, in at least in Ohio, for example, uh, the governor did clarify that schools uh, should not be considering shortening the school year. Um, just because of closing the physical mm. buildings. So, you know, a lot of schools are offering maybe pickup um, and drop off locations for packets, for example, especially maybe students or families that don't have connectivity. Um, or I know even in Columbus, for example, they just, uh, I think 509 hotspots were delivered to families right. um, free of charge, you know, oh, wow. resources. That. Yeah, but I, I do know it is um, still, you know, lack of Wi-Fi or even just connectivity and, you know, the fact that multiple parents and students are on or there maybe there's only one tablet to use has been an issue. Um, but, you know, they should relatively go throughout the rest of the school year, um, even if they're not in the physical building, obviously, at this time. And just for attendance purposes, I know families have, you know, had some questions about that. Um, the Ohio Department of Education in our state has recognized that tracking attendance um, obviously would be a challenge during this time since each school is doing different things. Um, so really students are going to be deemed to be in attendance during um, the ordered school building closure. So, you know, they're not really tracking hours. Obviously, it's more of an issue of, you know, are students turning in assignments, taking any of the quizzes or things like that, that the teachers are assigning during this time. So how, how can we, how, how are we seeing that? I guess it's a twofold question in this for everybody. How are they going to be able to track that efficiently? And how, knowing that there aren't really, and so this is actually kind of, rhetor that's a rhetorical question. How is that going to be used as a basis of judgment for going into the next grade level for each kid at the all these particular grades? Yeah. How do we use this stuff? Because it's consistent. Like it's, again, everybody's days are so different when you're at home. What is that going to look like for next year? Yeah, there's going to, you know, there always are assessments that, um, you know, that begin the school year, but I think there might be some additional assessments to get a gauge for where students are. Uh, there's going to be a lot of catch-up work at the beginning of the school year for the, the entire classroom, I think, in most cases. Um, a lot of supplemental work and, um, you know, maybe even extended time during the school day or, in the, um, you know, in, into the summer. You know, it's still a possibility. In Ohio, we're facing a closure until May 1st, um, which we, might, we expect might be extended through the end of the school year, which would be roughly June 1st. 
but uh, it hasn't yet been. Um, but there might be some uh, order from the governor of the Department of Education that says, you know, some of this supplemental education has to take place before the school year starts or, you know, after the school day ends. Mm -hmm. mm. So we may see this being either tacked on before school officially starts in the fall or even like maybe now our kids are going to be in class until five o'clock in the afternoon. We all get off of work. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. And districts might have some discretion to be able to, you know, kind of do what, what they feel like is going to be the best for their district and students and, and staff, you know? Yeah. That was kind of, um, that was kind of my, my next question. Is, what is the variance between schools and school districts or is there a, a standard, is it standard across Ohio? Are there standard rules? Uh, yeah, there's no standard at all um, <laughs> at the moment. I'm sure as, as most people are, are kind of recognizing and realizing, I think I've really seen everything from schools that are, are relatively doing kind of like their regular school day, um, for the most part online virtually. And then others that, you know, some, some students, uh, you know, are telling me that they can kind of get all the work done within an hour or two for the whole week. Um, so there's, there's quite a bit of variance of what's going on. Um, some schools you know, are requiring that students are completing assignments and projects, um, like I said, that are really similar to what they were doing in the building beforehand. Um, you know, I've seen teachers mm. doing videos and posting those, um, kind of just everything and anything. And then, yeah, like I said, the hours, I think some kids are, are kind of still on that, you know, nine to three 30 type schedule. Um, obviously that, that does look different family to family, but, you know, they do have a lot of things that they need to get completed, turned in, um, you know, they're getting feedback and then, um, you know, others have larger assignments or projects a little bit more self-driven. Um, so it's really just varied by teacher to teacher, even within each school, um, obviously by grade level, um, you know, and then a lot of other schools are only able to provide packets or, you know, sending things on Google um, that then students are printing out. So maybe not as, as virtual in terms of videos or, or other things. Um, but I've also seen some schools that kindergarten, for example, are getting on Zoom and the whole kindergarten class, even just socially, kind of for that social interaction are, are doing a Zoom in kindergarten. So, you know, who would have thought? Mm -hmm. That's really cute. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, the, yeah. uh, the governor's order did, uh, you know, encourage schools also if they're in rural districts or they didn't um, previously have a, an online education program. They're encouraging uh, local school districts to partner with, you know, colleges and educational service centers and IT centers so that they can set up that uh, remote education. And I just read an article today that um, the Athens City Schools, this is Athens, Ohio, had partnered with the college in town, which is Ohio University, to uh, help them through their online curriculum. So it is happening. It looks like there's some partnerships that are being formed so that the curriculum can be delivered online. Mm -hmm. It's, excellent. it's it's interesting because it's been delivered on the fly. Um, obviously, we're all doing this on the fly. I mean, we just talk about every one of us are parents. And so, you know, trying to sort through the day to day life of of what each kid has to do. So we have as a great example, we, we have a middle schooler and an elementary and they're two different places. Mm -hmm. And so the, the communication styles are two different beasts, yeah. two different animals from that regard. And then our kids are two different people on how they actually can handle online work. And so, and this is going to go too. And actually, this is something especially that for you two, Mark and Lauren, and we've we've talked about this a little bit on the back end, but I want to make sure to bring this up for the audience. You know, with in the cases of the IEPs and the 504s, with the need for more specialized education, 
I mean, the truth is we as parents with students with IAPs and 504s aren't IAP or 504 instructors. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, doing the best we can is, is what we all will do, but man, that's only going to realistically from an educational standpoint, go so far. I mean, Paige, you have a background in education or uh, special education. Um, what are the things that one, if you have a kid that is, and it doesn't have to be in an IAP or a 504, but a kid that is struggling with this online work and online life. And again, knowing the variances from school district to school district and school to school, how, how do we best help those parents? And also we've, we've tossed around the term before, as we were talking in prep for those stuff, compensatory educational requirements that may have to come into play for this. So what can we do to help them now? And then what can we say like might be on the forefront to help them here in the next month, two months going back into school? Yeah, a really good question. Cause you're right. I mean, the, you know, we're not reading interventionalists. We're not therapists. We're not, you know, school psychologists that, you know, there is a lot of talent located in a school that help that can help a student, especially a student with disabilities. So um, for a parent to take on all those tasks just isn't feasible. We don't have the, those skills and we haven't been taught those skills. So um, it's not feasible that they're going to get the same education if you're providing it. You know, with a student on an IEP or a, uh, even a 504 plan, specifically on the IEP, if you're receiving services, let's say tutoring, uh, counseling, social and emotional supports, like, a lot of that can be done online, assuming that the student can receive it. And if not, you know, if just, you know, the student, um, let's say, has um, an attention deficit or the student um, doesn't have the ability to sit down and focus on the computer for any given amount of time, you know, the first thing is, okay, can I help in any way? Do it, am I available to do that as a parent to be kind of a proxy yeah. for the therapist or the instructor to sit there and keep my student's attention or sit there and keep them entertained or do something you know, that might not be what's on the plan, but some alternative, you know, um, you know, walking around the house and having the student introduce the therapist to your little brother and your little sister and the dog and, you know, have, have the student tell a story about their family, you know, which doesn't sound like learning at all, but, it, you know, it can um, help meet the objectives and goals on the IEP. So it, it's just, it is, you know, adjusting on the fly. And then, as you mentioned, Aaron, if that doesn't happen, really, if the education can't be delivered in any other way than in person, then you're just going to have to do the best you can with what you're able to get from the school or what you can provide and then measure the deficit or, or, or measure the regression that you have. So track what you're doing, even if it's not exactly what's on the IEP, and then measure the regression because at least for students on IEPs, um, you're going to be able to um, uh, supplement uh, the IEP with compensatory education to the extent that it wasn't provided during the school closure time. So like you would, you um, record what you're doing with your child at home. Then when school reopens, say in the fall, you, you like you set up a meeting with your um, children's uh, teachers and intervention specialists. And then just say, look, this is what we've done, but um, we'd like to measure the deficit and then have you guys write up, an addendum to supplement that during the school year? Is that what you're saying? Totally well, that? I think the, the, the yeah, no, that's right. Um, I, I don't think you necessarily have to involve the school in measuring the deficit. I think, you know, you get everything you can from the student's IEP. So you look at, you know, um, 
the goals and objectives and how the services are provided on the IEP and get everything you can from the school remotely or in packets or with accommodations, which we can talk a little bit more about. But then if you just start providing the education or you're providing those services yourself, just track with the chart what you're doing every day and how often you're doing it. And it might not, not quite align with what the IEP has, but then um, if you measure all of that, and then when you're able to have an IEP meeting where schools are able to resume and you can call an in-person IEP meeting, what you really have to focus on is, well, this is what his plan said he or she is gonna get, and this is what we did, which is a lot less. And so, and you might not be able to re measure the regression, although there are some tools online that you can get to help you measure it. The important part is to measure what you did and then you can, you're able to contrast that with what's on the IEP. So when you get to that meeting, students on IEPs are absolutely 100% entitled to compensatory education if they missed it. If they didn't get the services on their IEP, um, they're affirmatively entitled to that. So then you need to, you know, that IEP meeting at the start of, you know, whenever school starts again, at the beginning of next school year, per perhaps, you can compare and say, this, you know, we need to figure out how we're going to supplement for what he or she missed. And so, yeah, it's a, a tracking what you did and then, you know, having an IEP team, uh, team meeting to discuss how we're going to make it up. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of accommodations, you know, actually, I think we're finding can actually be delivered uh, virtually or, or kind of in the in the way that, are, you know, it's happening now. So, for example, you know, some that we see a lot on IEPs are, you know, extra time in the assignments. Um, um, well, you know, that's easy to cover. <laughs> yeah, a calculator or manipulatives, you know. Um, you know, I really tell families and, and parents um, and students to be creative, right? So be creative. In school, uh, as a teacher, I used to have these little manipulatives, um, you know, that you, you buy, right? And they're little kind of colored, um, maybe like foam pieces, you know, and that's what kids are using to count math or beads or something. But there are so many different things that you can use just at your home, right? So it doesn't always have to be, you know, something that is, you know, a quote unquote manipulative from the actual school. Um, you know, other things like sitting close to the teacher, of course, maybe that that's not able to happen at the moment. Um, but even, re you know, reading aloud, I've seen everything. There's a lot of great devices out there that actually, you know, can do that for you. Um, or I know teachers actually are, you know, going online and reading to students and reading quizzes to them um, to be able to provide those accommodations. So I tell people to, to be creative, one, which I know it's hard to do in this time, um, but also, you know, ask your student, depending on the student's age and, um, you know, abilities where they're at. But a lot of times the student might have a great idea of how to help themselves. Um, you know, you kind of guide it, but sometimes it might be six adults in a room. I've seen a lot at an IEP meeting. And when you finally just turn to the student and ask them, hey, what's going to help you, buddy? You know, what, what's going on? Um, a lot of times they might have a great idea. So like Mark said, you know, reading to dogs. Um, there's just so many different things that I've seen happening. I've even seen teachers, you know, going out um, with a whiteboard, right? Um, or neighbors, friends, teachers coming out of retirement, reading teachers to, to volunteer. Um, I was on a call with Denison University the other day and they have students that need service learning hours, right? So it's not gonna be in person, but they, you know, they said, hey, can we offer free tutoring? Um, you know, we're happy to do that. So there's so many different things out there. I would just encourage parents, like Mark said, you know, obviously do your best to track. It might not be this formal tracking. Um, maybe that's something the student can do, right? Take it off the parent's plate. If the student's able to, you know, kind of track their own schedule and what they're doing, that's great. Um, 
But also, you know, in the in the interim, if you're struggling, you know, reach out, reach out to your teachers. Like I said, reach out to somebody at the school because they do want to help. You know, and they might have great ideas that's been working for another student. Um, and they, like I said, have, you know, driven to students house and, and read to them across the street or something like that. So people want to help during this time. I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, that that teachers and schools are really doing their best to do everything they can to help in this nebulous time. On the flip side, what what would you guys recommend um, to a parent if um, if their child's school is just like half-heartedly accommodating um, their IEP? Like you said, you know, if there if if there are things that can be done, whether it's like virtual meetings with a tutor or um, getting the ability to have um, assignments like read aloud, yeah. <laughs> um, like what and the school is just kind of half-heartedly accommodating or not being very forthcoming with accommodations what legally can a parent do sure um yeah so i mean you know parents have to tell the school right so if you're not telling the school hey my student's struggling or hey you know um that maybe that related service that therapist whoever is supposed to be interacting or those those hours or um you know minutes are on the iep that's not happening right if the school doesn't know then, you know, they can't help. Um, so the first thing, you know, we say is make a request, right? So whether that's to their teacher, you know, the special education coordinator, um, you know, each school kind of has a little bit of a different uh, system the way that they do it, but make the request probably to somebody in special education, for example. And, you know, we tell people obviously do that in writing, um, you know, so an email usually is best, um, you know, potentially following up with a phone call, that kind of thing, but an email, right? So put it in writing. Um, so you have it time stamped and, and you made that request sooner rather than later too. You know, if your student's struggling three weeks in, they're probably going to be struggling at week six too, right? So we don't want to be in May where your student has struggled for, you know, basically an entire um, quarter or semester and, you know, they're down, you're down, everybody's frustrated, um, you know, so if you can be proactive and reach out now, that's great. Um, you know, again, this can be then addressed in a virtual IEP meeting. So parents can still request those. Um, you know, at any point in time, obviously you, you get a yearly IEP meeting, an annual review of the IEP, but maybe for most students that's already happened um, during the school year, but that doesn't mean that parents and families cannot request another one. They can always request, um, you know, hey, I am struggling. This is a tough time. Can we hold a virtual IEP meeting? So maybe that's just a phone call with the, the student's IEP team, um, or maybe it's a video call, whatever is, is going to be on there. Again, I recommend... Um, my rule of thumb is usually about third grade, um, third or fourth grade. I really like to see students be in their IEP meetings. Um, so, you know, be on that phone call, be on the video and kind of let them drive the IEP meeting um, to some extent. You know, it doesn't mean maybe they have to be there on for the whole hour call or whatever, but I think to at least start the meeting. Um, I also have kids give presentations. So they make a PowerPoint or, you know, a fun little video about themselves, a poster, there's a lot of things that you can do, um, you know, to, to keep it student centered, but really hear from them in addition to their parents, since they're the ones, you know, seeing them kind of all day, every day to get that input um, for the IEP. So, you know, in the interim, I think that that's, you know, exactly what you need to do is reach out to the school. Um, and then, you know, but legally there are some other things, Mark, if, you know, you want to talk about if, for example, that doesn't work, you know, and the school isn't responsive or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, there are two categories, you know, accommodations are, you know, adjustments that are typically made in the classroom normally, uh, but then there are services on, you know, accommodations, you know, a, a 504 plan, for instance, is a list of accommodations that can be made for a student. So 
you know, things like, um, you know, sitting closer to the teacher, obviously, which is, you know, not going to be able, you know, that's not an accommodation you can really make. In fact, you really have a pretty close seat, you know, with, with Zoom. But, you know, extra time on assignments, of course, uh, calculators. Lauren went th through some of those. But just to be clear, you know, those are accommodations that you can have on a 504 plan and on an IEP. And then the IEP will also list services, you know, um, which will involve a human being delivering those services to the, to the student. So, you know, if those services aren't being provided um, and you can't get a response, you know, you've made a request, the therapist could provide uh, services remotely, even, even, even with your help, or you just haven't heard from somebody. We've had some clients where the school just hasn't, they forgot, you know, basically, or haven't reached out. You know, that's rare. But um, if they haven't responded, then you got to call you say, okay, I want an IEP meeting. We're going to have to make adjustments to this IEP so that this this um, these services and the instruction can be delivered remotely. But you got to do that. Um, and then the IEP meeting will be held virtually. The timeline still, you know, apply for, you know, the IEP meeting. And um, uh, and, and you just want to have that then call the whole team together to get those services delivered. Okay. And what that really works for a lot of, like, for, when I was thinking about this, like for elementary, I felt like I was totally in charge of things, right? My kid was little and I got to be in charge and I got to say, hey, we're meeting this benchmark or hey, we could use some more support. But in listening to like our clients now who have kids in high school and all of them are planning, you know, to head off to college soon. These parents are terrified because in one, like, I'm thinking about a specific case. One of our clients is on a spectrum. He's really struggling with the digital learning. Nothing about his profile suggests that he is in any way in danger of not graduating, right? He's got a really high ACT. His grades have been perfect before now. So the school, maybe not unreasonably, is saying, well, you know, it's kind of early. It's only been three weeks and we get it. Nobody's really liking this digital thing. So that's really been the reply to the family rather than here are some additional elements that we can use to support your learning right now because this student is really struggling. And like the parent has told us over and over, she's like, I'm not willing to fight with them every day. You know, like I, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we, we live in this house 24 hours a day. I can't fight with this person all the time about school. So... And, but you know, they both, I think both the parent that I've spoken to and the child feel somewhat defeated, right? Because they're really concerned about grades, about the, you know, the outcome, because it's the end of this junior year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> that's tough. We've seen that situation a couple of times. And um, first you, you gotta, you gotta measure what you're doing so that you can compare that when you get back to school. The other thing I would say, uh, and this might lend itself too, if we, talk a little bit more about college credit and college credit plus, but um, uh, I think it's really an opportunity for parents um, if they have students or their children um, with disabilities or without, um, but especially with students with disabilities because they have transition planning on their um, IEP, is to focus on that transition planning piece and say, okay, are we headed to college? Are we headed to a job? Is there something we can do now and maybe I can even do as a parent these transition related skills, you know, counting money, you know, customer service. Uh, can we do an internship with a business that's open? That's an essential business that's still running or even have a face to face phone call or I'm sorry, a Zoom call with a, a college counselor. Any of those transition related things 
Now is the time that you actually have a little bit more time to get those done. And those will serve the student well, as well as probably satisfy some of the minutes on the IEP if you're already into transition planning. Agree. Well, we're seeing that as a huge help right now. I mean, we're getting more done college planning wise with our kids than we have in years. But I but I honestly even even knowing all of those things too and, and making sure that we can enact them as best as possible here and even and, and throwing in the side of the equation the page is throwing in. I mean you guys are probably gonna be busy in the fall. I mean this this is part of what you guys do on a day to day, right? Is that you're you're the advocate for the family and the student in situations yeah might arise like this and i would imagine you're going to have a lot of a lot of unevenness going into the fall for the families that could do it really well and the ones that couldn't but because the measurable is so off kilt that yeah. you know there's going to need to be some advocacy there and again that's where you guys as a as a, as a law firm really step in yeah so. sometimes it does you know you hate to say that but right maybe Paige, the the family you were describing sometimes it might just take you know an outside person, right? To just be able to sometimes, you know, for us, it's an email or a phone call. Um, you know, obviously, we're always happy to field um, questions from parents and families and, um, you know, students that are struggling. Uh, but yeah, sometimes, right, it, it, it you just might need somebody else to kind of have your back to be able to explain in a way to the school, you know, how this is impacting, you know, your particular student, because we know that it's impacting everybody. Um, you know, we know teachers are working hard. But at the end of the day, you know, also you want to make sure that your student is set up. Um, so, you know, I, I love Mark's idea, too. I think the other thing we just in general need to remember is that learning um, isn't always academic. Right. So, you know, maybe students are are cooking with the family. You know, there's so many amazing things that you can do that it doesn't it doesn't maybe feel like it's, um, you know, going toward that IEP goal or, or their college goal. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of learning that's happening just family to family and student to student. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of things that adults are doing, for example, like these virtual, um, you know, meetings and happy hours and different things. I've seen students um, do, you know, similar things with friends where they're just meeting up and maybe doing a cooking thing. So like the Great British Bake Off, um, you know, that could be something uh, awesome, right? Where you have three or four or five friends, kids log on um, and do a little Zoom chat. They all do a similar, um, recipe so they're all on for a little bit talking about it and maybe parents are preparing dinner or something like that um, and then everybody goes offline for two hours or so do their baking then the kids get back online um, and they have their their judging um, you know and they have to show their food to the camera and and taste and do all of that so there's a lot of non-academic um, learning that's still happening you know and again it's just i tell people be creative you know there's so many things that we can do um, you know and we're happy to maybe post some things um, in addition to this podcast and resources for people. That'd so. be great. Mm -hmm. Nailed at home edition. Like that actually would be pretty good. If right? you seen that that. Yeah. On, on Netflix. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh no, those are good ideas. Now I feel like a really slack parent. I'm like, have I no, I've not done any of that. <laughs> My daughter actually did the baking thing with a friend. It's really? a big cupcake. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Oh, very cool. I've also been, uh, my uh, my daughter's teacher has been reading um, Charlotte's Web, and I started that with my son before my daughter's teacher was reading it, so, but now he just sits on in on my daughter's teacher reading the book. It's a recorded session, so, I mean, you know, I'm doubling up there, he, you know, he likes to listen to the book, and then uh, we've been, um, you know, he'll watch a session with this um, person online who builds domino structures and then knocks them down, you know, 
Um, so <laughs> we've got him some dominoes and for him, we make him count, you know, how, how many he has and how high he goes and stuff. So it's, you know, there's some math built in there. He's five. So, um, oh, you know, okay, gotcha. whatever you can do, I guess right now to, you call it education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's right. That's, that's absolutely true. And at college left off, we're like big believers in, yeah, in education holistically as well. Um, so we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, in a minute, I had, I don't know if we we're going to be regressing, but I had this like pressing question. I just want to, to have answered for once and for all. Um, can schools retain children in this time of pandemic? Yeah. Good question. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is yeah. Yeah, they can. Um, so uh, nothing in, you know, at least in Ohio, again, nothing in the governor's order really restricted that except um, so Ohio waived some um, state mandated testing requirements that they had, including, you know, third grade reading guarantee, which a lot of states have something similar um, where you can't advance on to the third, uh, the fourth grade unless you pass an assessment. Uh, Ohio graduation test, um, alternative assessments uh, for students with significant cognitive disabilities. Some, so some state testing requirements have been waived because students aren't going to be in class. You, the, a school cannot retain a student for missing that assessment. And, I mean, it just makes sense. You can't do that, um, including the third grade ring guarantee. But uh, Lauren and I were actually talking about this earlier today. Schools still do have the, the uh, discretion through their policies to re retain students if they're, um, let me look at the language here. Um, if there's a lack of proficiency in core courses, um, they can, you know, at the principal's discretion, they can retain a student. Now, um, and Lauren and I talking through this earlier today, um, we doubt that many schools will do that right now. You know, you can imagine what the parent's response is going to be if they try to retain a student because they hadn't, you know, uh, weren't up to, up to par grade-wise um, or lack some proficiency in core courses. Um, I, I suppose it could happen, and even Lauren pointed out that it could happen um, in third grade with reading. So long as it's not tied to the lack of taking the assessment, okay. um, then schools can retain. Now, interestingly, on the flip side of that, uh, most Board of Education policies, which are standard for the most part across all school districts, allow parents to request retention. Um, well, let me back up one step. If the school wants to retain, they have to notify the parent and the parent has some due process they can go through to appeal the retention if they don't think their student should be retained. And I'll tell you what, like exhibit A, if a school wanted to retain right now would be, well, you know, they, they didn't get in-class education for the last half of the school year, obviously. So that's why I don't think that's gonna happen too often. Um, and again, they would get notice and, and they're entitled to due process. But parents can request a retention. And some parents might be interested in that. They're worried about the, the deficits or worried about their child even um, academically or socially advancing to the next grade. So um, I, you might, I expect that one of the things, Aaron, that we might be doing a little bit of this, uh, this spring is uh, working with parents who uh, want to look at retention for their student um, based on what's happened, you know, and that in the lack of uh, in-person education, and then that's a policy. You still have to get the school's approval, but that you can petition for retention as a parent. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because that actually is going to correlate with part of the combo that we'll have 
continue going forward in this uh, about the college aspect that we've been reading a lot of articles about uh, families just ditching this next calendar year and doing gap years. Well, the inevitable issue with that is the fact that you're now pushing a lot of students into a next class year, which bottlenecks that class year of 2021. Right. So the retention problem is the same problem. If you're having educational outcomes that weren't met and they've decided to retain and push back into another grade, now you're thinning out and stretching courses or as we box them into classes of kids mm -hmm. that this system is maybe kind of all over the place, not just this year, but next year right. because of these because of these hiccups. Right. And even um, in House Bill 197, you know, in Ohio, it does indicate that students who are on track to graduate, um, you know, the day that the, the school um, ordered shutdown happened, which was March 12th, that, you know, they're permitted to graduate in the spring of 2020. Um, right. So, again, though, this is at the discretion of, of the principal uh, building principal. So, yeah. you know, if students really, for example, you know, some of my teacher friends, um, they're they're having more issues with their seniors who are for example um you know just maybe not responsive they're they're kind of have fallen off the boat they think it's senior year i'm just not going to respond to my teachers for two weeks or three weeks um and some of the students a lot of the college i think we'll get into this a little late, later but um colleges have kind of waived the drop date right so say you're in a, a college credit plus class so you're you know taking a class through high school um and you know a, a local university is, is giving you credit for it. So the local university has said, you know, we're, you didn't have to drop the class by X date, right? You can drop it through the end of the course. Well, that's great. And, you know, and if students choose to do that, that's fine. But my concern is that I think some students are just feeling like, oh, well, you know, because of all this going on, I'm just not doing the work anymore. I'm going to drop the class. But they don't recognize that, you know, they still have to actually tell the school that they're dropping it, right? So my concern is I think some students might just you know, kind of think, eh, it's fine. I didn't really like that class anyway. My parents wanted me to take it or whatever's happening. They're not doing the work. And then if they don't actually drop it, I am concerned that, you know, we'll probably get some phone calls about students that are looking for a retroactive withdrawal, which schools do have policies for that. And I think this would fall into it. You just did nothing for six, eight, 10 weeks. You know, that's going to be a harder case, right? So at least being proactive and recognizing, you know, do you need more help in this course or is this not a course that you need for graduation you know why would you want to drop it right yeah very true mm -hmm. so i want to jump to uh the question and, and well I, alex has been interesting but i i've been dying okay. to ask this question is that if that's okay this is a question because we've got some cool minds here and like and we're working on all of this in different educational fronts from a legal perspective from a counseling perspective from a just a general student to an iep to, to to uh, counseling on a whole nine yards. What should this all look like, really? Like, what should this, when we think of, how can I describe this? Uh, when we think of how we've put together this whole digital learning front, how should this really all be done? What are some wish list pieces? What are some things that happen? And Alex, you can clear up the question for me a little bit better, because you may be able to answer a little, ask it a little bit better. Are you, are I think what you're asking is, um, like, in a perfect world, what should digital yes. learning look like? Is that yeah. okay? That's a very broad question. <laughs> okay, well, well our opinions on that. Perfect, perfect world, and also like um, what we're experiencing now, and then how will we improve that? 
Well, I'm going to just jump in because one of the things I'm noticing is the large amount of variability between school districts and between states. I know talking to friends in, um, in Massachusetts, they are closed. They, they, I guess um, the governor's decreed that the kids cannot be taught any new content online during this time. So my girlfriend's kids are bored to tears because they're just doing review stuff. She can keep her fifth grader kind of in the mix. Her high schoolers like, whatever, I've already done this. And they're not doing any, like, I guess they're doing some work for his AP courses, but they aren't doing anything to like actually make sure that they're adequately prepared to say, be finished with calculus AB so they can move to calculus BC, right? That's a huge problem for them. But then we have, yeah, you know, here, it just even in the greater Columbus area, we have kids who are getting new content every day and they're being expected to learn and master new material. Um, I know Columbus City Schools is doing that. And then there are other, um, there are other districts in the area that are doing sort of a mix or doing a lot more review. Um, and I think that what we're going to see is so much variability. And I mean, always, I'm always thinking about it from the college planning side of things. What will this look like depending on the reputation that your school district has? And when you go to apply for things, what does your A in Calc AB look like versus somebody else's Calc AB A? So this just, I, in a perfect world, more of this would be streamlined so that everybody was sort of on the same page. But again, we're still not going to get everybody on the same page because we have all of these issues related to, you know, um, access to technology and those sorts of things. But so I would love uh, some clear direction from the state as to what we should be hoping for um, when a kid leaves a class and what that actually looks like for them. Have they mastered the material? Do we need to reteach this material? Do we need to reteach it to everybody? Is it going to be case by case? Those sorts of things. Yeah. And, um, I think all indications are so far based on the language of all of the orders and from the interpretation from the State Department of Education is that um, they're going to lead it, they're going to leave it to principals at the local level to determine whether or not students should advance and um, you know what the um, the curriculum will look like and the standards standards for advancement are going to be. I guess in my ideal world, um, and this is just you know as a former teacher, um, yeah, I I would love to see. I think right now it's interesting because the the education that's being delivered because it it just had to happen, right? This it, happened and it yeah. just needed to yep. you know get going. So you know it's almost to some extent parent and guardian led, right? That's kind of what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, I would love to see it be a little bit more student led, right? So you know in terms of moving moving beyond this and, and in general. Um, you know, other countries do this a little bit better where, um, you know, they, you know, students are really digging in and, and asking questions and wondering things as opposed to maybe just, um, you know, having an assignment and, and getting an A on it and doing really well um, or memorizing facts, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I mean, really learning other skills. You know, I think technology, for example, that's something that um, in the U.S. at least, uh, you know, we, we need to improve upon for our students, um, you know, and some schools are doing coding things like that. But I, I feel like it's kind of a, a one-off class or they, you know, only 30 students are getting that, you know, every year. And if you didn't have the prereqs to get into that class, then, you know, only you're, you're not going to get that education. Um, so I, you know, I really see it being a little bit more student-led. I think, um, you know, what Paige said in terms of equity, um, you know, that's, that's been really hard in the access piece. So, you know, I think, um, but a lot of places are, are doing free things, you know, and free virtual field trips. So kids can travel to China and, 
you know, do all these things that really weren't in the cards for a lot of students um, before and maybe now, you know, broadening their horizons. Um, so, you know, I, I see a lot of really interesting and cool things happening. Um, I'm excited. I like innovation. I think there's also something to be said about not reinventing the wheel, um, but recognizing that, you know, a lot of our students sitting in a seat all day, every day, um, you know, that doesn't work for them. Right. And it's never yeah. going to work for them. Um, and that's not their fault. Uh, so, you know, being flexible. No, so everybody learns differently. That's right, exactly. 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 Um, you know, and there are so many jobs. I, I say to a lot of students, you know, and I think myself, I always thought, you know, hopefully you're going to have a job someday that isn't even a job right now. Right. It's something that we can't even imagine, maybe, um, you know, or it's not even a job right now. So that's okay, you know, and as long as you have the, the skill set, right? So there's a lot of soft skills too that go into that. Um, you know, so I love it. I mean, my students used to do internships and work study and all different types of things. So their schedules look different. So some are maybe coming to school, um, you know, half a day and then going and working or, uh, you know, interning, shadowing, um, preparing for, you know, something else they're really excited and passionate about. And Mark and I, that's, you know, part of our jobs too now is, helping schools to think through this. So even before COVID-19, that was something that we advocated for students. You know, maybe the student, a, a traditional school day for this kid just isn't gonna work and that's okay. So what can we do, you know, so that they're still getting the education, um, but it just looks a little different. So, you know, I, I do think um, people are a little more maybe open-minded about all of that, um, you know, and I'm excited because I think at the end of the day, a lot of students just, yes, the traditional school setting doesn't work for them, um, you know, especially yeah. some of our students on IEPs and 504 plans, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that they, you know, can't go to post-secondary education or college or get into a field that, you know, they're yeah. going to have a really great career, right, um, and life, but it just might look a little bit different. Yeah, it's interesting. I bet half of the schools um, in Ohio didn't have a system for online education before this. A lot of them did. B bigger districts do. Um, but we're all, uh, you know, advocating for that a lot of times for our students. So the silver lining in this is, look, now, now there's not really an excuse. There's on, right. you have an online program, um, you created one now, uh, and then we should, you know, some students should be able to take advantage of that. And then the collaboration among parents and students in terms of what an education looks like, I think is only going to benefit all students going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we think this is going to be more permanent a part of life going forward. And it sounds like you guys are advocating that. So that's great. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm hopeful. You know, I, I hope that, um, again, you know, I, I do think there's still a lot of inequities, which is really, really tough. And you guys had, had touched on that. You know, how, um, for example, if you're going to this school, you know, and the, and the grades look different. So that's another thing. Grade-wise, um, you know, some schools have gone to pass-fail, right? And they're right now they're allowed to do that. It just kind of is what it is. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, it is a little bit, concerning probably for certain students who like to know how they're doing, right? Um, but I think Mark and I have also seen a lot of our clients, um, they're doing really well actually, right? With with some of these changes, maybe kids who had more social anxiety or you know other mm. things going on at school where again, that traditional school day was really tough for them. Um, you know, and they're doing fabulous, right? So it, it is, I, I see, you know, um, education being, you know, a little bit more individualized and really meeting the outcomes of students um, and, you know, our students being successful and still, like, you know, graduating and, and but also, you know, leaving school because a lot of kids are leaving school not prepared, right, and having to take remedial courses or, um, you know, maybe they're dropping out of college because 
they just aren't prepared or they weren't ready or whatever the case is, or college, you know, right after school wasn't um, maybe what was the best option for them. You know, so I think having these conversations is really important too, with, you know, with experts, with other people um, and being open-minded to that. We touched on a lot of things um, and I'd like to, you know, a lot of our listeners have high school students that are thinking about college. So I want to kind of like start, you know, addressing some of those questions as well. How has this pandemic affected the College Credit Plus program? Yeah, there, there um, have been a couple changes legislatively um, through the Department of Education and Office for Higher Education to uh, College Credit Plus. And I'll back up, you know, I, I know you're familiar with it, but um, for anyone who's listening, it's a fantastic program. It's a dual enrollment, enrollment program in Ohio that allows uh, students grades 7 through 12 to enroll in college courses while they're in high school. So they get both high school credit and college credit. So there have been students who have, you know, uh, finished two years of college before they graduate high school, which is fantastic. And it's at um, uh, little or no charge to the parent and student. So you pay for um, books and lab fees and that kind of stuff, but not tuition. The school pays that, but not you. Um, so it's really a fantastic program. Um, and uh, so they've changed it a little bit. There are a couple uh, hiccups because of the school closure. So there wasn't um, intent to participate form that was always due on April 1st um, of the school year. And that was right in the middle, you know, a, a week or two into the school closure. So they bumped that back in Ohio that you can turn that in by May 1st. So we're talking a couple of weeks from today um, that that intent to participate in CCP, um, uh, it can be turned in by May 1st. And by the way, you don't have to participate, but that you do need to fill in that or, or return that form if you uh, think you might participate. So um, you have a little extension to do that. And then um, uh, the other thing is, um, so they don't have an assessment for either summer or fall. And uh, you can't, uh, the colleges can't do the assessment they would normally do for summer courses or fall courses for high school students who are interested. So um, what the legislative change allowed is um, the college or a university to use the student's GPA instead to qualify them for the program. So you do have to qualify for the program, but um, so you need an overall GPA of 3.0 uh, to participate in the program. And by the way, if you took the assessment previously and didn't pass it, but you have a GPA of 3.0, you can use that now to participate. So a couple of good changes. There are a couple other changes too that um, might affect students, uh, like Lauren mentioned, I think, in, re in regards to withdrawing. But those are the, the couple of big ones, I think, which are gonna be helpful. And like I mentioned, you know, for all students especially, um, you know, it's free college courses uh, that you can take. And um, and some of those may be online now, of course. Um, so mm -hmm. um, it would be easier to take them if it, were, if it were a problem, especially in rural areas, to travel to the local community college uh, to take the courses. It might be a little bit easier to do now. And then um, for students uh, with disabilities who are able to take college-level courses, um, this is a fantastic way uh, to... Um, add something on their transition plan to either adulthood or college um, and something you can do now even while schools are closed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think too, just adding, you know, like Mark said, that um, that deadline is, is changed, you know, and bumped till May 1st. But, um, you know, even if you're not 100%, I would tell, tell students and families, 
submit the intent to participate form, right? Because then you have the options, you know, don't close any doors. So especially, you know, if your kid is, is driving you crazy, right? Um, and But needs something to do because maybe their summer job is canceled or whatever the case, you know, a lot of internships. I've had a lot of students where they had this great internship that they were supposed to do in Sandusky or, you know, somewhere else with the Browns or something cool. Um, and they're not able to do that now. So, you know, if that's the case, maybe they could take some classes and there are some really amazing classes out there um, that you just wouldn't even ever think, right? Um, you know, so such a, a great opportunity for students to get that college credit. Um, it doesn't mean that you still can't go to a four-year school and, and do four years of college, but I know um, it wasn't called college credit plus when I was in school, um, but I, I did that and it was awesome. So, you know, I was able to have flexibility um, to, to be considered a, a sophomore when I went to college. Um, although I, I still did my four years, but I was able to take different classes and just be a little more flexible um, going into college, which, you know, was really, really beneficial. So I would say, you know, submit the form and it's, it should be pretty simple. Um, and then at least you have that door open for you. Um, you know, and there's some really cool classes that, again, you probably wouldn't even think are a class. I've seen students do online gardening, right? So um, it looks like everything. That's really cool. And that's a great point. You know, as you mentioned, you know, this is being a great time that, you know, people, uh, students' internships might be canceled, um, volunteer activities might be canceled. Um, and that's actually a question we're getting a lot at College Liftoff. So I'd love to, you know, get Paige and Aaron's perspective on, um, on that. Like, with so much being canceled or like up in the air this summer, especially particularly for juniors, how should kids address the, the changes in their schedules when it comes to their college application? Like if they don't have the work experience uh, or the internships they were counting on um, or the volunteer hours or even the athletic time they were counting on using for their college application, how should they address that? It's one of the things we've been talking about um, a lot with our advisors, right? Because we all have these great students who've been working so hard to move on to the university of their choice. And now, just like every other kid in the United States, their, their life has kind of been put on hold. And so what we are reminding them as a group is because everybody is in your boat, what you need to do is distinguish yourself amongst all these other people. So you need to be able to leverage the situation and figure out what you can do to stand out what you can do to make a difference. Can you figure out a volunteer opportunity that doesn't require an in-person um, situation? Can you figure out some kind of research project that you personally are interested in that you can bring to somebody later on? What else can you do? Can you take some classes that might give you some additional information? Can you decide to learn Python or something else that you can add to your resume and to your body of knowledge these are things I did with my off time. I know I could have sat around doing a lot of Candy Crush, but <laughs> instead I learned how to yodel and I learned some Swahili. Check me out. So, and that's really what we're advocating for um, our clients right now and helping them figure out what makes the most sense in the work that they're already doing. Erin, you probably have some other ideas. Yeah, actually, it's funny because I was just talking to one of our clients who's in California just yesterday uh, and their parents were actually asking me, uh, even more questions about that, which is, you know, this is a kid that wants to go for a BSMD program, right? He actually wants to get into a BSMD uh, program. We have a couple of kids that try to do that every single year. Um, 
but one of the main things, as we all know, like if you're going for a BSMD program, you need to have volunteer house volunteer hours at a local hospital to do it. She hasn't actually had the full time to be able to kind of get that done and knocked out to this point. So what are we going to do? Well, she's she's done some work here and there, but we've actually been tried to work on that. We're, we brainstormed to this point and her advisor and Paige and we're all working on this trying to do some shadowing opportunities, some virtual shadowing opportunities with some doctors kind of on the front lines, even of the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. Another thing that she's actually even brought to the table, which I thought was really, really good, was uh, doing what she called a passion project. And what this really laid out to be is uh, she's done her brother. Actually, it's funny because we've had this conversation about about 504s. Uh, her little brother has a 504 and is, is struggling a bit with trying to do online work so she's actually going to do an art class because they don't have one they're going to try to do an art she's going to try to do an, a painting class with her entire her brother's entire class so by just doing it on zoom so just pulling together all the kids and saying like hey let's have art let's do a painting session from 10 to 11 in the morning which is going to be great it's a little bit of art therapy it's a little bit more still of uh social healing and mental health addressing during the COVID situation it's great. It's timely. So long story short, it's just time to get creative. There's still opportunities to be had. We just have to make sure we can put them together. That's really it. You know, again, like more about high school juniors um, you, that we're planning on using this summer to um, really start thinking about college um, and maybe go on uh, college visits. Like what should they do now? Well, I'm just going to be really bossy and say that I am not a fan of visits, which I know is it's kind of a weird thing, like because we college plan and I'm not a fan of visits because every single. No, if, you, if you've heard any of our commentary before, you'll know we're not that much of a big fan of visits because there's just too much emphasis put on them. Well, and but yeah, please feel free. to. Yeah. Well, and every single time you go to a place, you're seduced by how beautiful the campus is and they're a really cool bookstore and the fact that they have a rock climbing wall or whatever. They don't show you like what it is to actually go to chem lab every, you know, three days a week or whatever. And so I think yeah. the things that when you take a virtual tour, you can get a maybe a less dreamy eyed version of what your college is going to be about. I mean, I think you definitely don't get me wrong. They're not taking the, the picture of the backside of the building where the trash cans are, but they, you know, it's going to be really pretty and where you're going to see the beautiful gates at the front of the school and you're going to feel excited about their sports and all of that. But still, I think that you can get a clearer eyed version of what the school offers to you because that's ultimately what's most important, right? Like we say at College Lift Off, there is no good school, there's just the good school for you, right? Do they have your major? Will you get a job if you study that major at this college? If you show up at a school, I don't know, like say, say somebody in this discussion right now who just really loved the school and their mascot and all the cool stuff that they had even though they didn't have her particular major you might be tempted to do that right you may be tempted to go on to a school that doesn't exactly have the best fit for you and if instead you're doing this work virtually maybe you wouldn't even bother to look at a school that doesn't have your major that would be my hope so and so it is unfortunate i know it's more exciting to be able to get on campus and go buy a t-shirt and all that kind of stuff but <laughs> I think that there's room to do both. And I definitely think that you can get a lot of information about your school if you're doing a virtual tour. I wish you were around. Um, and maybe you were when I went, went, went to college, but I definitely could have used you. <laughs> Even more so your parents could have used us, right? I mean, yeah. like it is, it is such a lot of money. And I know people talk about it. You know, like we 
we have to plan to pay for this during our kids' junior spring break or whatever. No, don't do that. So we can we can do it another way. So I know one of my students last year, um, he didn't go look at his schools until he actually was accepted. And then, I mean, he had looked at the ones locally, but all the other schools that he applied to, and most of them were out of state, he looked at after he got his acceptance and then made a decision. And I felt like that was a much more clear-eyed, level-headed response to this because he didn't want to go to a school and decide on the basis of, I don't know, the weather that day that, you know, it wasn't for him. So Right. My parents wouldn't even let me visit and any schools until after I was accepted. But we did it all we did it all wrong. Um, but I totally agree. And I also um, I want to point out that you know we at College Liftoff have sent so many students to so many different colleges. So you know we have students that are likely you know in attendance right now at at a school that you know. A prospective junior might be looking at so uh, you know we are happy to put juniors in touch with some of our past clients who can tell you more about what the real day-to-day -day life is like at a particular school um, you know they're not selling anything so it doesn't really matter to them They'd be happy to answer any questions about campus life or classes anything like that last question that I just want to address really quick ACTs SATs Colleges are starting to drop them from um, you know, being required, some for just next year, some for like the next three years. Um, what's everybody's take if a school that you're looking at does not, does no longer require the ACT or the SAT for the next year or so? Should you still take it? Should you not? What are your thoughts? I guess I'll take that one. I, there's an interesting article I had pulled up earlier. You're not going to be able to see it, but. Um, <laughs> It's actually from the Wall Street Journal talking about how in response to the lack of testing opportunity in the spring, you're probably going to be able to take your SAT and your ACT at home in the summer and then into the fall. I know that a lot of schools are going to drop the ACT and the SAT. And I think for now, it's probably a good idea to keep taking them because you might apply to a school that definitely wants to see your scores. You can decide, right? You get a 26 and they're looking for like a 30 and above. Maybe you don't send it at a school at, that's where it's test optional. You get a 34 and it's test optional. I'd probably go ahead and send that, right? I mean, you know, we do everything that we can to make ourselves look like the best possible candidate. I think if that's an area for you that you may have struggled a little bit, maybe you find a school that's test optional for you and you don't include it. But I also think that if you are a strong test taker, there's no reason not to just Slap that 34 all over everything. Any parting advice? Um, I'll go first on that one. And, and this is going to be uh, a continuation of answers that we're going to be putting together for you guys as an audience, because this is this is important stuff and a really confusing time. We've never experienced a hiccup like this before. We've never have. I mean, we can go back to the 1918 situation, but even that was done on a city by city basis and the country was much more spread apart. And, you know, digital learning wasn't a part of that at that point. And, it, it just is a whole different thing. So we, we've not we've not experienced anything like this before. So uh, our main goal uh, as a team is to make sure that we can get you guys as an audience as much information as possible and answer any questions you have in this time frame. So as you, the audience, are thinking of things that you want answered right now, what's coming to mind, please, please make sure you email, email us in, put it on Facebook, whatever you need to. Um, in order to get a hold of us, and we'll make sure to find answers for you because that's where we are. 
Uh, and that's what Albert Weicker has been great at doing is which is finding answers. They've been doing this for years on the whole educational front to make sure that these proper things are being met for you guys as families and you have advocates out there, just like we've been doing for our families. They're doing the same thing on all the legal sides that need to be taken, uh, taken care of. And that's going to be even more prevalent going into the next calendar year. We really appreciate you guys, Mark and Lauren, for being on this call. I hope we can continue to do this because, I mean, we've only scratched the surface of questions that I know that we have, that we're seeing, that our families are asking. Um, and, I mean, we're only a month into this, and we're not sure how much longer this is going to go on or how even just moving forward when, you know, the pandemic is over, how the face of education has kind of been changed by everything we've gone through. So I hope we can keep the conversations going. But we really appreciate having you as our guest on Affording College. I want to make sure that everybody knows who you are, you know, your website, how they can contact you, how they can best contact you moving forward. If anybody has any questions. Sure. Well, first of all, okay. thanks a lot for having us. This was a lot of fun. I enjoy the conversation. I learn something every time we talk. So uh, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, Lauren and I are uh, both available. Uh, again, it's Albite Weicker LLP, located in Columbus, but helps students all over. And um, our website is um, awlawohio.com. awlawohio.com. Awesome. Our website is collegelifthop.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, obviously visiting our website. You can send us an email at hello at collegelifthop.com. Subscribe to Affording College. All right. Well, I guess we're done. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. You Bye -bye. too. Bye. Bye. Bye.